Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. You know that a couple of weeks ago was Mother's Day, and I didn't preach Mother's Day, and I usually do preach Mother's Day. And I believe in doing that because there's a great attack on motherhood today, specifically motherhood. And so I uh, got through it by preaching Romans. I avoided the subject, and then Mary Lee told me this week, our mothers are crashing and burning as they face the summer and having to care for the kids during vacation and having kids that are obstreperous and rebellious and disrespectful. And so you need to go back and preach a Mother's Day sermon. And so I said, yes, a massa. And so that's what you're going to get this morning. All right. So let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God of love who is tender with rebels, let alone with those who honor you by submitting to the righteousness of faith. And so, Father, we pray this morning as we look at your word and at mothers that we will be changed and that we will not try to spread the distance between your creation and woman's rebellion today. Help us to honor mothers in this church, and we pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to start by talking about the fall. Uh, when, when we did the book on fatherhood, I've told you that the whole point of that book is to express to men the difficulty of being a dad. But I don't think that fathers today understand how hard it is to be a dad because I don't think fathers today understand the corruption of the fall and how far down it reaches. And so I went on and on and on and on talking about the fall and how it has harmed us in the book. And Nathan Alberson removed, I think, three quarters of what I wrote about the fall. At least two thirds of that book was deleted before it went into print. I just kept trying to say, look at the fall, look at the fall, look at the fall. You will not be able to do your job right. You will not be a good father unless you take seriously the effect of the fall on fatherhood. Now, it's also true that we as a group, not just with fatherhood, but with all kinds of things, we try to forget the fall. We don't like to think about the fall. We try to look at the world as if the world is just a beautiful place. And if ever there's a time to think that, it's springtime. Because in spring, the world is a beautiful place. So I just love this year, if you want to see roses you go over to Michael and Ben's house. On the front of that house, they have a white rose that is mind-boggling right now. I mean, that thing is just incredible. And Michael didn't tell me. I went over there. I saw it, you know? And then you think about, I have, now I know, I know, I'm not getting my hopes up, but right now my peach tree, right now, has... They're bigger than they've ever gotten before. 
And the tree's loaded with peaches. I even have apples on my apple tree now. And then you go to the poppies. You know, we took a picture of poppy in the poppies. You know, tiptoe through the tulips, poppy in the poppies. Tiny Tim? (laughs) And the poppies were just so extravagant this year. You look at the leaves, the leaves are clean right now because they're fresh. You look at Jenna just giving birth to Jethro, right? It's the only name I've gotten right today. All nature sings and round me rings the wonders of his world. This is my father's world. If there's ever a time for us to refuse to believe that the fall happened, it's right now. But the fall happened. And what this world is doing for us right now is showing us that God is kind. Because the minute Adam rebelled against God by eating the fruit, all of creation, not just you and me, but all of creation was corrupted. All of it. Creation itself groans. Okay? Lucretia says that at a birth, the wailing of the newborn is mixed with the dirge for the dead. And so don't go getting all soft and misty-eyed and rose-colored glasses during spring. The very fact that we have seasons is only because God promised it. He said in Genesis chapter... He said in Genesis chapter 8, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. This is just God's promise. All right? He does not owe it to us. All right? And so we live in a way where we try to sort of change the world from post-fall to pre-fall. And this is the error of the communists in the 20th century. The communists were determined to make the world into what they felt they were entitled. All right? And so it was utopian. And anytime we try to redo what God has decreed, we will be absolutely destroyed. And so to Stalin and Mao, Chairman Mao, it was no big deal to wipe out hundreds of millions of people because they had a righteous kingdom that they were bringing in. And if you had to, you know, break some eggs to make omelets, well, you know, break a hundred million of them. And the minute you try to live outside of the fall, you try to say, well, the fall hasn't actually happened, and God really wants us to be happy, and God owes me fairness. God owes me not to miscarry. God owes me for my husband not to die, you know. God owes me free college education. God owes me health care. God owes me freedom from masks and vaccinations. It's like, knock your socks off. I found God doesn't owe me anything. 
You know? How's it working out for God owing you things, huh? I want you to realize God does not owe you anything. He does not owe you anything. You complain about liberals creating an entitlement society. You know, you say, well, you know, now that we have an entitlement society, you know, all all these people think that the government can just give them things. But if I were to talk to you about how you approach your sickness and the death of your father and your miscarriages and your disobedient children, I will very quickly hear entitlement in you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'll never forget your mom trying to discipline you when you were a little boy, happily playing with your trucks on the floor of our... And I remember talking to your mother, and she was so offended that you didn't obey her. She was so offended. She was so hurt. And I remember saying to your mother, that's what your job is. That's what a little boy is. He needs to be disciplined. (laughs) Don't act as if you've been put upon by having a little boy who needs to be disciplined. That's your job. And I think she's done well. We went canoeing together this last year. Mothers, you're facing the summer. And I want you to start looking at this summer fully aware of the fact that God does not owe you obedient children and that God does not owe you the character trait of patience. Some mothers have it. Some mothers do not have it. And the mothers that do not have it cannot say to God that he's unfair that they have a temper. If we believe in the righteousness of God that comes by faith, then you have faith for your temper, knowing that God is a forgiving God. And you train your children to grow up forgiving their mother. They have no right to oppress their mother because she lost her temper with them. You don't live in guilt with your children. If I were to live in guilt as I preach to you, what on earth do you think I would say in my sermons? I just sit up here and I go, well, I can't say this and I can't say that and I can't say the other thing and oh, I better not say that. We live by faith. We submit to men by faith. We submit to men by faith. And so I want you this morning to realize that God is merciful and that he gives you children despite the fall. And that some of those children live despite the fall. You with me? And that he doesn't owe you children. He doesn't owe you marriage. He doesn't owe you being perfect mother. He doesn't owe you getting your Instagram pictures, you know, favorited by people. He doesn't owe you any of that. He doesn't owe you not putting on weight when you have a child. He doesn't owe you a husband who is understanding about you putting on weight when you have a child. You are not entitled to the life you think you're entitled. The Bible tells us that God gives good gifts. 
one of my favorite verses is this, where it says in James 1, 16 and 17, do not be deceived. So we, we have a tendency to be, to be deceived here. Do not be deceived, beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. They are gifts. They're gifts. And you do not have a right to demand every good and perfect gift from God. And notice he's called the Father. It's one of the reasons I love it. I want us to develop and cultivate our ability of thinking of God as a good Father who rains good gifts down on us. Now, with that as a background, let's read our text for this morning, which is this. It's found in uh, Proverbs 19.14, and this is God's word. It's eternally true. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Okay? House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. I'm not demeaning the wonderful things we've gotten from our fathers, many of us. They're so precious to me. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. A prudent wife is from the Lord. I remember when I got married... I married a hot chick. And that's as deep as it went. And most men here would agree with me. You know, when you got married, I would rate, you know, way down there, prudence. Now let's see. Hot chick, prudent hot chick. Now, those two don't go together, you know? You want a woman that you can fall in love with and live the rest of your life with. You like her, you, you like doing things with her, you like talking to her. She looks good, and the Bible talks about women looking good, so don't think I'm being sub-biblical, okay? And, and that's about as deep as we go in getting a wife. But then I remember reading this verse after I got married, and I remember thinking to myself, whew! I dodged a bullet. I was not discriminating in my desire to have a good-looking woman. You know what I'm saying? I think I would have been willing to settle for an imprudent, hawk-looking babe. But God in his kindness gave me Mary Lay. And I realized I dodged a bullet. And that while I was looking for somebody that I was infatuated with, okay, God had said, no, you're going to get better than that. You're going to get somebody that you're infatuated with who also is prudent. 
And I said, well, you know, I wasn't looking for prudent. <laughs> I was looking for hot chick. Ooh, foxy lady. And God said, no, I'm going to do much better for you than you could ever imagine. And I woke up, and there next to me for the rest of my life was Mary Lee. Now, because I'm a pastor of a church, I have intimacy with you. And I say to you, what do you think the man thought when he woke up with Mary Lee? Huh? What do you think I thought? Now, you may be thinking, well, okay, she's prudent, but is she hardworking? Okay, she's prudent, but does she buy and sell? You know, Proverbs 31. She's prudent, but does she get up early? She's prudent, but does she submit to you? In other words, I can tell you she's prudent, and it's kind of meaningless, you know? What you want to know is, does she submit to you? Does she get up early? Is she hardworking? Can she make a profit? All the Proverbs 31 things that cause you to want to commit suicide if you're a woman. (laughs) You know? And so my question for you is, do you think I was happy to wake up with Mary Lee? Huh? Oh, And I realized that God had given me Mary Lee as a gift. Now, I have a bit of a problem here, which is there are men who are sitting here right now Well, let me back up and say there are women who are sitting here right now and they're saying, well, I'm not a prudent woman. I'm not a prudent wife. And my response is, uh, you're not perfect, but trust me, most of you are. I mean, honestly, it's hard to be in this church and not be a prudent wife because you have to pay such a penalty to be here. Okay? Okay. So then what about the man who's sitting here thinking, oh, I didn't dodge the bullet. The bullet hit me. I got the bad one. Okay. And what I'll say to you is what I think all the pastors would say, which is if you think you got an imprudent wife, it's likely because you are a little man. Okay. In my experience in counseling people, most of the time when a man is bitter or angry or perpetually complaining about his wife, it has little to nothing to do with the wife. Now, some guys would hear that and they'd say, well, that's why red pill exists, you know? There you go again, blaming everything on men. No, 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 I'm just blaming the perception that your wife isn't prudent on you. Okay, I'm not blaming the fact that your wife may not keep house the way you like it, that your wife may never spank your children, that your wife at breakfast and lunch doesn't teach your son to chew with his mouth closed, and so you have to do it at dinner. That's one of the conversations I've had with Mary Lee. 
You know, lover, can we please have Taylor improving in his eating habits during the two meals you have with him before dinner? So that when I come home, I don't have to use dinner teaching Taylor to chew with his mouth shut. We all have failures. We all sin. But if you think you can categorically say that your wife is not prudent, what I say to you is, I'm going to guess in most cases that's because you are an insecure, entitled punk of a, of a husband. Whoever, do you want me to... Am I doing okay so far? Okay, okay. All right. So if your response to this verse is to say that God has failed you and not given you what you needed, which was a prudent wife, I would say look inside because your wife actually is probably much more prudent than you want to admit. And whose job is it to make a wife prudent? (laughs) I mean, did you ever think about that? Did you ever think one of the ways that God accomplishes things is through means? And so it is your job to make your wife prudent. In other words, let's say there are failures of your wife where she does need to be improved. What are you going to whine about that? Are you the kind of jerk that sits around just counting all the ways that you haven't been given what you deserve? I mean, what woman wants to be married to a man like that? You know, I want to find a man who always blames everybody else. I think I could be happy with a man that blames everybody else. Listen, in the areas where your wife is imprudent, it is your obligation to help her grow. That's what it means when it says that Christ sanctifies his bride, the church. You have an obligation to make your wife more holy. And so don't complain about it. Help her. Help her. Oh, you say, well, she doesn't want to be helped, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Well, of course she doesn't. Carver didn't want to be disciplined. What are we going to do? Are we going to spend our lives only doing the things that people really want us to do? You know, I mean, that's, that's a pathetic life. As a nurse, can you imagine only doing the things your patients wanted you to do? (laughs) You know, insane. So, if you say, my wife isn't prudent, my first response is, she's probably more prudent than you think she is. And number two, you have an obligation to improve her. All right. Now, what else? Well, think of the tremendous gift that prudent wives have given that we know about. We could, we could choose a lot of them. We have bad examples. If we were to talk about wives who are not prudent and how they've harmed their husbands, we could immediately come up with Job's wife. You know, that's a proverb for a reason, you know. She says to her husband, what? 
She says, curse God and die. (laughs) Oh, my. Yikes, right? Don't you wish that that had been left out of the book of Job? Well, no, seriously. I mean, I don't really. It's helpful, but it's helpful in a painful way. Or, talking about bad wives, let's think about bad husbands. How about Nabal? We, don't, we have a lot of weird names here, but I have not seen anybody naming their son Nabal yet. <laughs> you know, Now that I've said it, probably somebody's going to do that just to prove that God can be graceful in every situation. Nabal did not appreciate Abigail, and Abigail did him nothing but good her whole life. And so God took Nabal's life. And then what happened? Well, what happened was then Abigail became David's wife. What a beautiful thing. She was doing good to Nabal, and then she did good to David. I'm not saying she was perfect. She wasn't. And and then we go and we look at other people There's a chapter in the book on marriage on Priscilla and Aquila instructing Apollos. It's very helpful that the Bible puts her name first. And Scripture, at that point, putting her name first, means that she took the lead. And you look across history and you'll find a number of the most conservative people saying, Calvin says, How humble Apollos was that he was willing to be instructed by Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla was a good wife. (laughs) I I have been instructed so much by my wife. By my daughters. And so in the New Testament... And then think of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Think of Mary. What an incredible woman for Joseph to have. Then you talk about Lydia. Then you look at Martin Luther. Eh, No, let's talk about Monica. Augustine's mother, Monica. Do you remember what her son, Augustine, said about his mother? He said this. Give me a second. It's one of the problems. He says this. He says, but I will omit not a word that my mind can bring to birth concerning your servant, my mother. I won't leave one word out that I can say about my mother to you, God. In the flesh, she brought me to birth in this world, in her heart. She brought me to birth in your eternal light. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? It's just gorgeous. How about Luther's wife, Katie? Do you know that Table Talk is the most interesting volume in Luther's works? It's just a recollection of what was said in an upper room after dinner. So Brian Bunn and I were actually able to go up in that room, and I would say that that room would fit into from here to the edge of the platform to the front of the higher part. 
Just this. That's it. Big old uh, stove, like coal or wood stove, sitting up to give heat. On the upstairs, above where they ate. Tiny room. And what we read was that often Katie would go up into the room with the men. (laughs) You know? And she took part. What a wonderful, prudent wife. She would not let those men go off on their own and have their stupid thoughts without her wise input. Now, of course, I'm, I'm being a bit jocular there, but you get my point. And do you know that one, this is the kind of thing you read about Katie. One morning, Luther got up and he came downstairs and Katie was wearing black. And Luther said something like, my dear, uh, has somebody died? And she said, God has died. And he said, blasphemy. What on earth are you saying? And she said, well, you've been moping around the last few days as if God died, so I thought I should go into mourning. What a prudent wife. What a prudent wife. After I got done preaching the first service, I took my manuscript and I gave it to Scott. (laughs) And in in the manuscript, I have a copy of a letter that his wife wrote him. What year would that have been? 1993. (coughs) Almost 30 years ago. And I would say, Scott, don't you think that that was a prudent letter to her husband? Impudent and prudent. (laughs) It wasn't impudent, but when I read that letter, I thought, uh, I've told you about it before, and I I, I just thought, I I hope my wife never writes a letter about me like that. She could have. It would have been true. So when we talk about a prudent wife, we're not talking about a prairie muffin. We're not talking about a woman who dolls up and hides under the dining room table. We're not talking about a woman who puts on this plastic lies on Facebook. I'm married to the most godly patriarch. You know, my husband is just the most wonderful servant leader I've ever known. We're talking about women. And a prudent woman is scary, and she should be. Because she's married to a sinner. And it is her job to help him. I keep telling you this. If the woman is a helpmate, then for for heaven's sakes, help him. And how do you help him? You help him by submitting to him in everything, And we're all, yeah, yeah, we know that, we know that. Okay, you help him by rebuking him. And you say, does not compute, does not compute. I say, yeah, it does compute. You can submit to your husband and you can rebuke your husband. You see this in in any movie about the military, you'll see it. Military movies revolve around a subordinate improving his commander. It is the tension in stories about the military where the subordinate is wiser than the commander or has more information or something. And so he says what? He says permission to speak freely. 
We're not talking about a doll. We're not talking about a barefoot pregnant wallflower. We're talking about woman. And woman is an earth force. She is a life giver. And if she gives life to human beings, to little men, how much more should she give life to her husband? Proverbs 12.4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. If you are married to a prudent wife, And you recognize that God has given you this gift. You have a couple of things that you should do. Number one, you should pray. Never stop praying that God will give the same to your children. Never stop praying that your children will be given husbands and wives who honor God. What I have always prayed about our children is, Father, give, give Taylor, give Michael, a husband, give Taylor a wife, and then what I always say is, what? Husband and wife, I say, who will lead him in godliness. That's what I pray for a wife, who will lead him in godliness. There's nothing that is going to have the effect on the happiness of your grandchildren, let alone you and your wife, when you get in-laws as much as whether they marry a Canaanite woman, remember Samson, or they marry a brother or sister in Christ. Now, those of you who are young and are not married yet, do not compromise. And I'm not telling you to marry someone who's a church member. Many's the slip twixt the cup and the lip. As Augustine says, there are many sheep without and many wolves within. I'm telling you to marry someone who belongs to God. Someone who has faith in Jesus Christ. Don't settle for anything less. Don't settle. Okay? Now, men who are married to a prudent wife. Lead your family to pray for the wives of your children if they're to marry. Number two, improve your wife. If you are not working to make your wife holy and sanctified, then you don't love her. It's just like children. The father that doesn't discipline his son doesn't love him. You say, are you saying I should discipline my wife? I'm saying, no. Improve her. In other words, don't whine about your kitchen (laughs) not being kept the way you want it. Teach her. Who taught me to clean the kitchen? My sister? You know, my sister taught me to clean the kitchen and I had the job of cleaning the kitchen every single dinner and every Sunday lunch until I left my home, (laughs) you know. Didn't matter how many guests there were and how many, if my father and mother both cooked together, it was a nightmare because they they, they had a principle to use every pan there was in the kitchen before they were done. I cleaned it. I never complained. I love to clean the kitchen. Now you say, well, do you do it all the time now? No. You know why? Because generally, I mean, I do it sometimes, 
But generally, there's not much to clean with two people. Well, did you clean it when your children were at home? No. Well, why not? Well, because my dad didn't clean the kitchen. I did. In other words, your children should be doing most of the work in your home. Improve your wife, <laughs> you know? Improve your wife. My great hero on this is Joe Crum, <laughs> you know? Because Joe Crum knew how to run a household. I think it was because she'd been around Elizabeth Elliot, <laughs> you know? Elizabeth Elliot knew how to run everybody, <laughs> you know? So listen, one of the ways you can improve your wife is you're headed into summer. If God's given you a prudent wife, help her. How can you help her this summer? One of the ways you can help her is by having a commitment that your children from the youngest ages are going to work and keep the home running so that the mother can do the things that are important. A young boy, Bo's age actually, can clean a bathroom and can certainly clean a toilet. So that's one thing I did. I cleaned the kitchen, I cleaned the bathrooms. All right, not my mother's, but all the other ones. Help your wife teach your children to do the work. Don't cut the grass yourself. Have your children cut the grass. Have your children do the laundry. Have your children wash the windows. Have your children weed the garden. Have your children clean up the kitchen. Have your children sew. Have them cook. Have your children make the beds. Have the children take the linen off the beds. Have your children take the car out into the driveway and use a hose and wash it. But don't do it the way my older brother and sister did. When My dad always bought new cars, even when we were dirt poor. He bought a brand new station wagon, got up one Saturday morning, and they were out. And they had ruined the car because they'd washed the whole car with spick and span. <laughs> and so the whole thing was dull. <laughs> but you know, it was so sweet to live in a home where everybody cheerfully did their work. So that's a way you can help your prudent wife. You can teach your children to work. And if your wife fights you over it, remind her to submit. Okay. Another way you can help is by bringing order to your home in the summer. Your wife is not enjoying the thought of having her children at home all summer. Yes, she loves her children. She adores her children. She thinks they're the most wonderful children in the world. But those three months where everything descends upon her running the household are difficult for her. So how can you help her? You have a prudent wife, but that doesn't mean you can't improve her. And one of the things I would say to you is, and I've told you this before, with a wife who has great patience... She's going to get to the point at dinner time where she does not realize what she has been putting up with all day. She's lost any sense of proportion. She is fixated on just surviving one more second. All right? And somebody just surviving one more second is not thinking about what can I do to change my circumstances. So I would come home 
and I'd walk in the kitchen, and there'd be one kid tugging at her blouse, one kid screaming in the living room, kids playing, running around in a circle around the table. I don't even know what it all was, but when I got in, it was a cacophony. Do you know what a cacophony is? It's insanity audibly. Well, I'm walking in from a relatively peaceful day, and I walk in, and I look at what's going on, and I hear the noise, and what do I do? I say, stop! And guess what? Everybody stops. And then do you know what Mary Lee does? She looks at me, and you can just see her go, oh, that's so nice. Listen, dads, if God's given you a prudent wife, set boundaries. Bring order. And don't ask for your wife's approval. I didn't look at Mary Lee and say, Mary Lee, is it all right with you if I yell stop right now? <laughs> you know? She probably would have said, well, they're hungry. <laughs> you know? Which was true. But you're a man, and so at times you'll have a better idea of what order should be brought to bear than she will. And so do it for her and don't ask her permission. Does that make sense? And while we're at it, one other thing. If you have a prudent wife, should you allow your children to speak to her with disrespect? Huh? Huh? No, 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 no. And if your husband allows your children to speak with you with disrespect... Just call me. I'll be a ghostbuster. I'll come. But you really don't want that because that's pretty pathetic for you to have to call Pastor Bailey to keep your children from speaking to your wife with disrespect. Right? So I hope you don't call me. But if you do, I, I will be there. And there will be respect in your home. Okay. Now one last thing will be done. I like to say that the currency of a church is forgiveness. It's true. But now I'm going to change it and say the currency of a church And the currency of the home is gratitude. Did you you hear me? I said gratitude. Thankfulness. Remember that old song that we used to sing? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. I used to run cross-country to that. Count your blessings. 
you don't know how many blessings you have from God until you begin to count them. So count them. Start with God giving you a prudent wife and then be thankful for it. But don't stop there. Thank God for your parents who gave you such ability to stand in an evil age. But don't stop there. Thank God for the fact that this son, who is as obstinate as they come and thinks so highly of himself, is very tender to rebuke. You know, you can fix on his obstinacy and his pride, but why not stop and thank God that he's sensitive to rebuke and repents? You, all of you, have many, many more gifts from God than you stop to count and give thanks for. You have been inundated by God's liberality. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And many times, the good things that you have coming to you, you didn't have coming to you, actually. And God was just unbelievably kind. You remember, Mary Lee and I did not deserve to wake up with each other in a bed, or certainly I didn't deserve to wake up with her. Our relationship had descended into sin. And at that moment, God gave me a prudent wife. God protected us from all the dangers of early marriage. God's protected us throughout our lifetime. And so you have many things to thank God for. Cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. Every good and perfect gift falls down, comes down from above, falling down from the Father of the heavenly lights. One of the things that I find most difficult in the work of the pastorate is to deal with fathers and mothers who do not adore their children. And it just kills me. Did you notice that one of the texts, well, it was the James text. Did you notice what it said here? You didn't notice this, I'm sure, but remember what I read from James 1:16. Do not be deceived. Do any of you remember what came next? Do not be deceived what? Oh, it's up here. Jonathan, welcome home. I've been missing you. You're helping. It says, my beloved brethren. And when I read that the first time, I didn't stop to say it. But what am I thinking? Do you know I am so tired of families that won't say they love each other? It's so sick. Scripture is constantly talking about love. And we can't tell our children and our husband and wife and our pastors and elders, we can't tell each other we love each other? (laughs) 
What is your principle? Then I look at parents with their children, and yeah, some children are really pills. I know that. And yet, you do love them. You actually adore them. Tell them that you love them. Be thankful for your children. They're a gift from God. And don't guilt trip yourself and don't allow your, your wife to guilt trip herself if you're not thankful enough or if there isn't enough work completed. And, you know, in other words, don't use the things that we have talked about this morning as a way of removing joy and thankfulness from your home. Okay, this is a sermon about looking at the blessings God gives us and being thankful for them. And yeah, improving them. And, but one of the ways you protect a prudent wife is by disciplining your children. Be thankful for your wife. Help her life to be easier, okay? Remember also that it says in the Bible that if we are nasty to our wives, what happens? You remember? First Peter 3, 7, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And I know this one ain't up on the board. What comes next? So that your prayers will not be hindered. Apparently, God takes it personally how you treat your wife. (laughs) I love you all very much, and I want you to have a good summer. And husbands, I want you to love your wives. And I want you to be thankful to God that he's given you the wife he's given you. You will die soon. And in the grave, you will not be able to sing her praises. And so you begin to do it now. Don't be a tightwad with your gratitude. Did you hear that? Do you know what a tightwad is? Don't be stingy with your gratitude, with your wife and your children. Be liberal. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our wives, our mothers our sisters, that you will give them strength, Father. We pray that our sons will treat them with respect and think of them with respect. We pray that our daughters will learn to be modest and to be godly wives to godly husbands. We pray for our parents, that they will not meddle with us. And Father, we pray that Everything that you've given us will cultivate in us gratitude to you because of your extraordinary kindness to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.